Welcome to the Spirit of a Badass, where we celebrate stories of courage, hope, and resiliency. I'm your host, Alicia Jacobson. Hello, and welcome to all of you badasses joining us here today. I am here with Carrie Zalaki. I am so excited for you all to be here with us today. I am just happy. Like we are in Wisconsin and it is warm outside. People are out that I haven't seen since September. Like there's just a happy bunch up here in Wisconsin right now. I'm happy you're here. I hope you're happy that you're here today. Carrie, I'm so excited to have you here. Carrie is an artist, an art educator, a nonprofit leader, Mother and wife, visual arts became a leading force in her life in high school at a pivotal time in her personal life. Creativity has continued to drive her life and career, both as a personal outlet and as a leader of a local nonprofit enrichment school for the arts, where she hopes to create a safe space for all ages to explore creative expression. Welcome, Carrie. I am so thrilled to have you here with us today. Tell me you're here with us in Madison and it is like nice out. So how are you enjoying this beautiful, unseasonably like warm weather that we're having? It's like emerging from hibernation. It's pretty fantastic. And you're right. Everyone is joyful and happy. It just is like such a huge mood booster to see the sun. Yes. Get that like vitamin D from the outside versus like in the bottle that we've all been doing for the last six months. Definitely. And you were just on vacation for spring break, right? Yeah. We drove to Asheville, North Carolina. So my husband and our two daughters and I drove down and visited. I have a nephew that lives there and we got to go hiking and visit Smoky Mountain National Park and see some really beautiful waterfalls and then also experience Asheville. Nice. Asheville is a really unique town because it has a very distinctive artistic community. So they have a neighborhood called the River Arts District and there's these, you know, different warehouse spaces that have been converted to artist studios and galleries. So there's this community of artists that all share these studio spaces and work within them in their various art forms, and then also sell their work out of these studios. So as a family, we got to go and explore. My daughters got to meet some artists like at work and then, you know, buy some of the pieces that they were creating while we were there. So it's really cool for me in in the space that I, my career is in to then expose my kids to what it looks like to have this very supportive community of artists that are really connected to one another and um, in this cohabitive sort of way. So it's very non-competitive and just everyone's trying to help one another succeed. That is really neat. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Of course. Uh, Okay. So you had mentioned the arts and how that, I mean, that's your career. That's at your core, like running through your veins, this, this artistic piece of you. And that's why you're here today, because that, that mm-hmm. art showed up at a really important time in your life where you really needed it. Yeah. You know, I had always been creatively curious as a child and in a variety of ways and um, had been interested in the arts and, and, you know, did a lot of like crafts and things like that um, at home. I was involved in dance growing up. And then when I was in high school, I was in my junior year of high school and I had gone to get a haircut and the hairstylist that I was working with noticed a patch of a bald patch on the back of my head, about the size of a quarter. She said, you know, did you know that you're missing some hair back here? And 
I had no idea. And I was 16 and I went home and I kind of told my mom like, oh, you know, she noticed that there's hair missing. And my mom said, oh, that happened once when you were little, but it grew back. So I think it's okay. And then we kind of got busy with life. It was the spring, which is like a busy time, like we're going through now. As time passed, I started to find more patches. That summer, my hair started falling out pretty quickly. Um, and by the fall, I went from having a full head of hair to having very thin hair that could, like my ponytail was probably the thickness of my pinky. And you could really see my scalp through my whole head. We had, you know, started to go explore, you know, dermatologists and doctors and trying to figure out what was going on. Um, my parents were, you know, so supportive and trying to just do whatever they could to figure out, get to the bottom of what was going on. And eventually, you know, they were like, we're going to go to Mayo Clinic. Like that's the destination that you go to when you have a really serious thing happening with your health. And so we drove up there and we're able to see a team of dermatologists. They did a punch biopsy of my scalp. So they cut out like a little cookie cutter. They take a piece and look at it under a microscope. And then the team of doctors come back, comes back in and everybody, you know, takes their turn looking at you. And you feel very like a fish in a fishbowl. They said, well, this is alopecia. It's an autoimmune disorder. And your hair is probably going to continue to fall out. And there's not really anything you can do about it. You could take steroids, but long-term, that's probably going to do more harm to your health than good. The lead doctor was like, my recommendation is to get a good wig and have a nice life. And at 16, I was like sort of stunned, right? And went back to school, went home, continued to lose my hair, went back to school in the fall. And it was my senior year of high school at that point and clearly was really struggling with a lot of depression, not wanting to go to school, not, you know, knowing how to deal with this in addition to my like teenage life, which is stressful on its own without added complications. I had the most amazing art teacher. I, at that point, had already been taking a lot of art classes, but she really saw me. She knew that I was having a hard time. It wasn't even like a, like she never put me on the spot. I was never called out or made to feel uncomfortable, but she just in subtle ways, let me know that that was a safe space that I could go to. And so I found myself spending any free time that I had at school in the art room and being able to feel really comfortable in that space. I had other you know, some of my friends that were also enrolled in those classes with me became part of that safe space. And I remember one day she, my art teacher, gave me a notebook that was filled with inspirational quotes that she had collected in her own life. She just said, just in case you need this, I want to share it with you. And that meant so much because here I was feeling like, very um, isolated and lonely. And even despite people's best intentions, when you're going through one of, an experience like this, it is altering to who you are to your core. And so to have somebody who just 
could silently stand next to you, not to make you feel like you had to do anything differently than what you were doing, but to just be there was everything in that moment. And it really led me to feel comfortable with using creativity and visual arts as a way to sort of explore these really intense emotions and feelings that I was having at that time. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing your story with us because this is a really vulnerable space. And I just want to thank you for that. As a teenager, I mean, I have teenagers in my house, so that's tricky. And then you Mm -hmm. have this added piece and your hair, if you've not gone through this Mm -hmm. or something similar, you don't really realize how much of your identity and who you are, your hair plays a role in that, which is so interesting. Having that art teacher then see you, you said, I felt seen. She created a safe space. The type of alopecia that I have is called alopecia universalis. So it's the most severe form of an autoimmune disorder. And so my hair loss didn't stop just on my head. As as I continued through the fall of my senior year, I started to notice that I was losing my eyebrows and I was losing my eyelashes. And all of a sudden I didn't have to shave my legs anymore, which side note is pretty amazing. But I felt like, you know, waking up in the morning, I didn't look like myself anymore. I couldn't look in the mirror and be like, it didn't, I didn't, I felt like I was losing my identity. And now looking back on it, there was, it was like a, it's a pretty um, intense period of mourning because you are losing the version of yourself that you had been you. And, and there's this new version that you're having to then figure out, you know, as a high school senior supposed to be like the greatest year of high school, because you're, you know, wrapping all the things up. I was just intensely self-conscious. I got to a place where I couldn't piece together a ponytail anymore. I couldn't deal with trying to to make it work. And I got a wig, my first wig. I will never forget it. It was like, I tried to have it look as close to what my natural hair looked like as possible. But I, at that time I thought, you know, they kept saying it could grow back at any time. And I didn't know what it, and so I just like, my mom and I went to a wig shop. We found something that we thought would work. It was the most uncomfortable freaking thing I've ever worn in my life. It was like, like, I kind of felt like I couldn't breathe walking around the halls of the school because I was so, is it going to fall off? Is the wind going to blow the wrong way? Is somebody going to say something? Am I going to be, you know, is my eyebrow going to wipe off? Like all of these things that would run through my head in addition to like, (laughs) did I do my math homework? There was just something about that room that felt like that was the place where I could breathe. And I think that some of it was because of who she was as a person. She was a strong person who really you could tell that she wouldn't take any crap from anybody. You know, she stood up for the kids who were maybe being picked on or, um, you know, she just, she just made it a space in that room where people knew that you had to respect each other in that space. That was the sort of classroom culture that she had created. And I think that that had, you know, kind of helped create that feeling of safety so that like, if I'm here, I felt like 
I was protected in a way, as opposed to being like in the jungle outside of that room. And some of that was probably my, my perception too, but that was really, that was really what I, I remember her being this just confident, strong woman who was passionate about what she taught. She wasn't afraid to have difficult conversations with her students and she wasn't afraid to call people out and tell them to not be a jerk. And so I think that that, that just created a bubble that felt safe for me. And you have taken this, that bubble, Mm -hmm. and that had a huge impact on who you are right now and the life path that you took. Yeah. So, you know, like we got through high school, we graduated. Hallelujah. (laughs) And at that point, I had really identified some really specific things that I wanted in sort of my next step. All I knew was that I wanted to go to a creative arts school. I didn't know what I wanted to do with that. I just knew that I wanted to continue on this path of creativity. We visited, I knew that I wanted to be in a city because, um, you know, I didn't grow up in a small town, but it was the type of town where everybody knows one another. I felt like everyone was identifying me by this health experience that I was going through. And it became this thing that like, I felt was on everyone's mind every time they saw me. When I was considering what was next, I really identified moving to a larger city as an opportunity for anonymity that I hadn't had in the last couple of years. I moved to Chicago and I went to Columbia College. And when you visit Columbia, which is so much different now than when in the year, you know, 1999, when I started there, it is a community of creative people who I just felt very connected to right away. It's just a super diverse group of people. Like, okay, I think, I think these are my people. I think this is my next step because not only is it, you know, an exploration of your creativity, but there's also like a really, there's kind of like a big swing between like the extroverts and the introverts. When you go to a creative arts school, (laughs) there are the very loud extroverts. And then there's also the people that are like, I recognize you as a person that also does not want to talk to anybody else and just wants to do your own thing in your section of the classroom. And that's okay. And so went to Columbia, I got an undergraduate degree um, in fine arts, and then eventually ended up going back to the same school to get my master's in art education. And it really kind of came back to that concept of wanting to be able to create that same experience that I had growing up, being able to be the person that my art teacher was for me, for other students. Eventually we started having kids and relocated to Madison. Now I am the director of Monroe Street Art Center, which is a nonprofit enrichment school for the arts. And uh, we teach all ages, birthed through adults, and have music and visual arts programs that happen in this in our little corner of Madison. Our hope is really to have that same welcoming, inclusive space for people where they can come in and explore who they are as a creative individual. How do you see that show up in the young artists? that you have in your space. Something that is important to to really think about is like not every kid wants to be an athlete. Not every kid feels comfortable being on a soccer field or playing basketball. That's okay. So we see 
so many different things. We have really amazing multi-generational experiences. So like early childhood music classes where parents and, and caregivers come with their little ones to be able to make music together. We have kids who come for you know, piano lesson, violin, guitar, and they get to explore that side of their creative expression. I am not a musician, but I have so much appreciation for what they do. And then we also have our art classes. And so there's a really wide range of, you know, kids that come for um, afternoon art. They come from school and get to, you know, work with an instructor and explore different materials and different ideas and concepts. And, um, you know, we have right now we have a middle school fashion uh, class that they're working on, you know, designing um, a piece for a specific show. And so it's creating that creative community um, where people can find like-minded individuals um, and, you know, have that opportunity to explore, you know, things outside of athletics or gaming or, you know, the other things that kind of seem to be taking over the after-school space for some kids. That's really interesting that you said about the athletics and not every kid is that mm -hmm. because that's a big thing. And when I work with women, not necessarily the athletics, but I don't fit in this box, mm -hmm. this kind of this preconceived like societal thing that I'm supposed to air quotes on that be doing. Yeah. So right. how wonderful that there is this space for kids who that's their jam. Like that's what yeah. lights them up inside. And it's, it's a safe space and not like safety. Yes. But like safe for their like soul and their heart to show up in this very authentic way because it's the energy there and it's all the other people that you said are like, like-minded and that's, that's what's being given to them. What a gift. Yeah. It feels really special. I think that that was my, my sort of biggest thing that I had to work through as an adult um, coming away from that experience growing up is I felt very different. And I mean, still to a degree it exists in, in my life still to this day to feel like you are so different than the people around you, whether it's your classmates or even within your own family, you know, that you are, that there isn't anybody else that will ever understand or be able to um, truly grasp that experience that you're having in your life. And it can be extraordinarily isolating. It can be, um, hard to figure out how to then like, how do I work through that experience and then also find a way to find connection with other people. I think that COVID has, has really like the experience of being isolated for a while kind of exacerbated that for a lot of kids too. I mean, we have seen kids, you know, trying to work through more social things than ever before um, and giving them you know, an opportunity to do that in a different way feels really special. Yeah. And, you know, you had this experience and now you have come to, it's like your, your gift back. You went through something that was very tough and challenging. And mm -hmm. now you have created this life where you are gifting art to young people and providing this really welcoming and safe space for them to express all of their being. Looking back, you said 
it was hard to look in the mirror because that identity you had to mourn essentially who you had known, who you had grown up with you and you were, mm-hmm. you, you know, becoming different. You were growing into someone else. You said a different identity. So what learning do you have looking back on all of this? I think that, gosh, time is just such, it's just the most important thing. I think about those intense emotions that you feel as a teenager or even a young adult. And, um, you know, people who really struggle with depression and mental health problems at that age, looking back, you know, that sort of message to my younger self now is thinking that this will get better. I think that when you're in that moment, you feel like you're never, you don't see that light. You don't see how, how you can move forward or find yourself on the other side. And it takes time and it's, I still have my moments, but remembering that it it will, I mean, it does get better. I think that for me, it was so, there was so much trial and error. It caused me to get really clear about other things, other boundaries for myself. So recognizing like what felt good, like what felt like a yes and what felt like a no, I think became easier to distinguish after going through this because it really caused me to really learn about who I was internally. I got really clear on relationships that felt good in my life and those that didn't and what, you know, friendships felt safe and what friendships didn't. And so, you know, being able to really recognize those boundaries that were really important for me to create so that I could build that, those feelings of yes more and the feelings of no, get those out of your life. I think now it's so interesting too, when I think about the difference between, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, going through this experience versus now. Now there are amazing, beautiful, inspiring women who are showing up on social media in the alopecia space that didn't exist when I was at that age. So that's the other thing is like, I didn't know anybody else. I, it was just me. I didn't know anybody else. I had never, no one in my family, nobody that I knew. I eventually in college did meet a few people um, through like a, a photo project that I was doing. I had to seek them out though. And that was, it was not, it was like, find the person and call them and drive there. And, you know, <laughs> it was like very low time ways of connecting with people who were going through a similar life experience. And now I follow some really amazing people on social media who are, you know, uh, creating beautiful opportunities to show a younger person who's starting to go through this experience or even, you know, there, this can happen at any time in somebody's life. There are women who start to lose their hair and men start to lose their hair in their midlife later in life. And to be able to see, you know, these people who are, unapologetically, like, this is who I am. I am creating this space. I'm going out here. And it's, and it's, I think that that is just such a huge gift to, you know, anybody else to be able to have that connection and find people who are having that same experience. It sounds like a couple of things you have mentioned connection and in the Mm -hmm. nineties, like the low tech, like, (laughs) You really had to seek out that connection. It's weird to work for it. Yeah, you a lot of work for it. Um, so for anyone experiencing this or something similar mm-hmm. now, 
you said connection. There's a lot of people, it sounds like, on social media that inspire and create that connection probably within their sort of arena that they work in. Is there anything else that you would offer to any person that is either experiencing this or is maybe a a loved one, like, you know, in their inner circle? For sure. The National Alopecia Areata Foundation is a fabulous organization. They have um, an Instagram page. We can, I'm sure, link it. And they do a wonderful job. They have webinars that are recorded that people can watch. They um, have been doing a series lately where they have different people who shared what they wish that people in their life knew about their experience with alopecia. And um, it's just a really beautiful way for them to spread awareness and share various people's stories. Um, there's also a lot of Facebook groups and things like that too. But I, I think that um, the National Alopecia Areata Foundation is probably the largest organization that people can turn to for information and education, but then also to find connection. They do have some support groups that they do in various cities um, and um, a conference too annually that people can attend. Oh, nice. Okay. Which I went to once with my mom, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Is there anything that you wish that people would know? I used to say at the time when I was going through high school, I used to come home and be like, I wish people realized that I lost my hair and not my hearing. You, you hear those whispers, you hear the, you know, the questions that people ask each other near you about you. And I think that, you know, wanting people to know that you're still the same person um, inside. And just because you're going through this doesn't mean that they have to be afraid of wanting to talk and connect. I've seen recently more people talking about like, not commenting on other people's bodies in a public space. Because you just you just don't know what someone's going through in their personal life. And I think that, you know, that just should be like a a rule to live by for all people and all things. It's just not, it's not necessary. Most of the time it's not helpful. And I, I think that, you know, now because I have my eyebrows tattooed, I wear false eyelashes. There are a lot of people who have no idea that this is my daily life. There's no people, there's a lot of people who wouldn't know unless I told them, but it's really interesting because working with kids, there is a different level of observation and verbal filter that happens when you're working with kids than when you're with adults. Like there's one girl last week when I was in a classroom and she looked at me and she was like, you painted your eyebrows very pretty. And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, like the kids that notice things differently, you know, that that's different. Like parents don't hold your breath, like <laughs> let your kid ask the question if they ask a question and hopefully people aren't offended by it. Now I'm to the point where I am very honest and open if people ask me a question or if somebody says, oh, wow, how your eyelashes are so long. I'm like, great. They're from Target. You can get them. They're this brand. <laughs> it's so much faster than putting on mascara. And it's something that I've tried to instill in my own kids. Like you just don't know what people are experiencing in their personal lives and having sensitivity and compassion for people is just of the utmost importance. 
I want to repeat what you said about not commenting on people's bodies. This is something that I talk about all the time um, to yeah. my children also. We don't comment on people's bodies. I, just, I feel like I just said this to an adult. I don't know mm-hmm. when it was, but it was in a space where I felt comfortable enough to like call it out. But I was like, no. Yeah. And I'm getting better at that sort of getting comfortable at calling, not in a shaming type way, but like, we don't need to comment on anybody else's bodies. That's not our space to do that. Like, no. Yeah. No. You had mentioned I'm still the same person and I Mm -hmm. I lost my hair, not my hearing. One thing that I have noticed, one in coaching with people and and then just talking to people who have gone through anything um, out of the like norm is that other people Mm -hmm. don't know how to talk to you. It's like all of a sudden people uh, don't have words or the words that they choose are just really, really uh, not just, they're not good. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I think people, they stumble over them because when they don't know how, this is not something that we're taught is how to have conversations around things that maybe make us uncomfortable or we're unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somebody I was talking to last week said like, we're going to make mistakes. Yes. If someone was going to show up and be a person mm-hmm. having a conversation with someone who has alopecia, mm-hmm. how should they best do that? What are the words? What are good words for them to choose? I mean, I think it's tricky because number one, if you see somebody losing their hair, you don't always know why. So uh, if I walk around in the world without hair on, most people assume that it's from cancer. Like that's the sort of go-to thing. And so, you know, I think that that's a tricky question because it kind of falls into that space of like, does it have to be, you know, like, is it out of, what is, what is the driver behind the showing up? Is it because of wanting to be a supportive friend or is it because you're just curious and and I think that that in, the intention behind it matters so like before you would say something thinking about like is this do I need to bring this up or can I just show up and be their friend and and just continue I think you know that the choice to, to, um, wear hair, not wear hair, do, you know, this, that, the other is so personal that, you know, if someone asks direct questions, then give honest and, and, you know, thoughtful, like, yeah, that looks great on you, or I like that color or whatever it might be. But, but if you just notice something different, you know, I don't think that, that there always has to be a conversation around it. I feel like for me, it it sort of incited this this sort of like, well, if this is what it's going to be, then screw you kind of experience in high school, because I went from having like this, like unassuming short brown, like Bob haircut that I was trying so hard to like, just hide in the background. And then all of this noise started and people were talking and nobody was talking to me. They were just talking around me. So I was like, well, if everybody knows and they're all going to talk about it, then I might as well just get like a waist length blonde wig and do that because <laughs> we're going to do it. We're just going to do it. Right. Um, and so I think that like, you know, it's, it's hard to be able to, to, to distinguish the right way to, to show up. I think that just showing up as you normally would for a friend, just, you know, those helpful things that you would do if they were going through any kind of a difficult time, if somebody needs help with, you know, bringing their kids home from school because they have a doctor appointment or, you know, uh, 
any of those things. It's the weird thing about alopecia is that you look sick, but you're not. Like there's no other physical implications that happen other than your hair is gone. I mean, the mental health piece makes obviously things like super depression and it's hard to get out of bed. And like, all I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying that there's no, it's different than if you were going through a different, like another medical crisis that would require different things of you for a friend to be supportive. Like you don't need a typically like meals or things like that. I think just, just being, treating them the same and being that same authentic person and not treating them differently than before they had gone through this experience, unless they explicitly say to you, like, it would be really helpful if we just didn't talk about hair. I mean, that's one of the things that I used to really, it used to just make me insane is as I'm like shedding like every day, clumps of hair coming out of my head, I would go to school and I would hear people complaining about their hair or complaining about, oh, my hair doesn't look good today or my, this doesn't, and, and it would piss me off because I'd be like, you're so freaking lucky that you have this to complain about. You know, we all, we all sort of take for granted what we don't think about as being, you know, something that you have to be grateful for. Um, but it, it's definitely one of those things that I, that I noticed a lot in the beginning. Now I don't really notice or care. Um, but when I was going, it was just like in this intensely aware moment of, of, um, losing and, and that transition, I was so aware of people, other people's complaints about their hair or appearance. Cause I was like, you know, if we could trade places, that'd be awesome. I would take your split ends any day, lady. <laughs> Well, and that's, I mean, because essentially you're going through a, a trauma of that. I mean, that is, it right. is, uh, that is. And so that's so natural to say, you know, I wish I had that problem. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now looking back, I mean, I, you know, I'm almost 42. I lost my hair when I was 16. It's been a long time. We've been on this journey for a while. And um, I now think about, you know, there's some new treatments and things that are coming out. And I'm like, I don't know that I would want, I don't know that I would want it. You know, I kind of like not shaving my legs. I kind of like who I am now and, and where this experience brought me. So at no point have I ever thought if I could turn back time and live my life differently that I would. Because it would, I wouldn't be sitting in the same space that I am now. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I hear that um, often. It's something I was just—I don't remember who I was having a conversation with, but it was in going what we have gone through. Mm-hmm. Would we, if we could, like magic wand in hand, would we do things differently? And it's so interesting because the majority—I don't know that I've ever heard somebody say, "Yes, I, I would, I would have this be different." Because it's like where you are now, the learning, the experience, the impact you get to make, those cracks that you know, those those things that you experienced, the light it it just shines, it shines through. Yeah, and other people get to experience that through you. And would you trade that? to have, to be different, to have those split ends that the, the other girl had, you know, would you, and you know, most people know, no, I'm, I'm really happy 
with where you are, which goes back saying time when you said time, just knowing that like it, you will get through this. And now here you are almost 42 saying, yeah, I I like who I am. I like not shaving my legs. I like the space that I am in and this life that I have created. Right. Great. Okay. Uh, We're going to wrap up here and shift gears a little bit for my last question. Share your number one life hack or tip that has helped you save time, energy, or resources. Something that I learned from you in a Sunday family meeting, because now, you know, with the life that I have now, where my husband and I both have pretty robust careers, we have two kids, we're going in a lot of directions. There's a lot of things going on in life. We have like a shared family calendar, but like half the time we aren't looking at the next seven days, let alone what tomorrow says. So just connecting once a week to be able to have a conversation about like, this is what this next week holds for me so that we can show up for one another and help each other out and not be like, well, it was on the calendar. Didn't you see it? You know, like (laughs) there's a different experience when you have a conversation about it and if you're just like posting it on your google calendar and expecting everybody to know what you're doing yeah oh i love that um i will once we're done i will share more about the the sunday family meeting because everyone that i have shared that with that has implemented it it's life-changing mm-hmm. life-changing and the little fights that you get into because i put it on the calendar and why don't you look at well life stinking happens and when you show up as a, a person in front of the other person saying, here are my needs for the week, like it's life-changing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. I so appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Maybe how they can get in contact with you at all? Well, thank you for having me. This is such a great experience and a great opportunity. Um, I am, my email is probably the best way to get in touch with me and we can share that. If anybody is experiencing alopecia or, you know, hair loss in their life and looking for safe spaces, being able to use those resources and, and to not feel shame about it, to really, you know, find people to connect with and, um, and it's going to be okay. Thank you. Uh, We will link those in the show notes. And thank you, Carrie. And enjoy this beautiful weather outside. I hope you can get out in it, like soak it up while I can. (laughs) Wow, Carrie's story is so inspiring. I want to pick up and talk about the family meeting that she mentioned, because that really can save you time and energy throughout the week by just setting aside a little bit of time at some point during your week to plan out and voice your needs. This idea of family meetings on Sunday is life-changing for all of the people that have instituted this into their lives. Essentially what you do is pick a time to meet with your partner, And you can also do this separately uh, with your partner and your family or whoever the people in your house are. And in picking this time, it's important to pick a time that all involved will be in a space of being able to hear the message being said. Because if you pick it at a time that is challenging or difficult or people are tired, 
the results will not be optimal. <laughs> they will be a little bit difficult because if you're hangry or you work a 14 hour day or whatever the case may be, if people are not coming to this, being able to listen and be present, it's not going to work. So first pick a time that works for everyone involved and ask questions like when it, when is a good time for you to do this in looking at your week when's the best time my husband and i pick sundays because we were doing church and leaving church we were doing it online uh, leaving that space left us in a, a really kind of uplifted and open mind space and so that that was why we picked that time in this meeting you can bring whatever it is that you want to bring. We talk about what our goals are for the upcoming week. We recap the goals that we had for the last week. Did we meet them? What worked? What didn't work? Uh, and then what I think is the most important part is looking at your schedule for the week. And if you need something, if you need support, if you need help, if something upcoming is really important that you need your partner or whoever you live with on board with and you need extra support with, this is where you voice that. You are able to say something like, hey, I have this really important meeting Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm going to need to prep for this Wednesday afternoon and I'm going to have to leave the house early on Thursday. Could you please plan dinner on Wednesday night and get the kids ready and out to school on Thursday morning? Doing this alleviates the stress and the fights that happen Wednesday night when you're trying to prep for your Thursday morning meeting and you're pissed off because you've had to make dinner, your spouse is late, the kids are going crazy, and all you're thinking of is I have this important thing and now I'm not feeling supported. I'm on my own. I'm not supported. But by creating time, designated time to voice your needs, you automatically feel supported because that person hears you. Now that person knows how they can show up to support you. And then you don't have the like complaining and the bitching and all the things that happen when you think the person knows what you want and vice versa, when things come up throughout the week, you can just write them down. My husband does this with me because I don't have the brain space and the, the space to hear what he necessarily has to say during the week. Like when it's like maybe an uncomfortable conversation or what could be perceived as negative. So we know that that is the designated space to bring these conversations to. So we're blended. So shit's always like, we got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of different things. And we've been working through some heavy, heavy things right now. And he has started keeping those lists and it's been really helpful because then I don't feel ambushed during the week, which that's what was happening. Like it would just be like, like he's just jumping out from behind something to like lay this big thing on me. Well, I don't have space for that right now. So now he keeps it in his notes. And, but then he also asks me within our, um, a meeting, like, do you have space for this right now? So just knowing like, this is kind of a protected space also that you're going into with the idea of I am showing up, I am listening. This is not a defensive space. 
Because you don't want it to be negative either. Like if you're keeping your like your notes, like so the things you can just like dump on, like that's not the point either. The point is to have increased uh, communication and increased understanding along with feeling supported throughout the week. So just to re- like recap here, find a time that works for all people involved. Have kind of an outline, like what are you going to do within this meeting? What are your expectations in this meeting? And kind of have a plan and, you know, also have fun with it too. Like it, it, this has changed our lives. Like the, the miscommunication, the wondering who's doing what and when that has all almost nearly stopped. There are some things that still fall through the cracks, but not as often. And then another thing, this is something that we're going to start doing is bringing your kids involved and having a meeting with them. And especially like we're blended. So it's tricky, um, which is probably why we haven't yet, because it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Having your kids come in, especially when they get to be older and having that sort of reflection on the past week, the upcoming week, because I know I get like the last minute text and that's still going to happen of where they need you, you know, now, five minutes ago, but you can have them, you know, kind of foreshadow what's coming up. What do you have in your week? How can I best support you in your week? And then they know, like, if you have important things, like you are a full human also, you are. So they can then support you in your, in your life and you can, you know, added support. And then you're coming together cohesively as a family, which is just really neat. That's a really neat space to be. All right, give this a try and let me know what you think. I would love to hear your feedback on putting a family meeting into practice. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Alicia Jacobson and we will also link that in the show notes. Spirit of a Badass is a Lit Path Studios podcast and is produced by Jamie Gale and Alicia Jacobson. Music by Shane Ivers. We'll be back with another inspiring interview. Until then, keep your spirits high and your energy badass.